Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. My name is Peter Jacobson. I'm the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Joining us today, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel, Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We have Joao Pereira and Kevin Ugarteche, our graduate assistants, and Russ introducing a, our special guest for today. Oh, the special guest is back again <laughs> here. So Dr. Levi Russell uh, is a professor of economics uh, over at Kansas University. Uh, and he came from K-State, so he's been a Kansas person for a long time, uh, did spend some time in Texas, and uh, he's uh, got a latest expertise in, in studying energy and uh, been doing some exciting stuff. Uh, Levi, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. And so I would, what's this dashboard all about? So you, <laughs> you want people to be thinking about renewables. There's always, of course, concern with climate change being the one of the hot buttons, uh, topics. And yeah. are we burning up the world and rising sea levels and all kinds of stuff? And, yeah. and uh, what's this dashboard that you've developed? Yeah. So, um, so I'm, uh, my, my, uh, my main role at KU is, is teaching. And um, I've, I've kind of gotten a, a bigger interest in energy. And I think it's it's one of these things where students are interested in it. They see it a lot in the media, um, especially lately in the last couple of years as, um, you know, energy prices skyrocketed there for quite a while and um, just becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And like you said, with climate. Um, and so there's a couple of things I'm doing. Uh, I'm working with um, uh, a gentleman that works for a, a wind finance company. Um, to put together a, uh, a kind of a seminar for finance and engineering students on um, understanding project finance. And we go and we're going to be going through um, an Excel spreadsheet that basically shows them how, you know, the sort of cash flows work and all of that on, um, you know, standing up these turbine farms, right? Um, but in, in my managerial econ class, um, the sort of capstone of the class is talking about energy and, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, the bootleggers and the Baptists with uh, Germany's, you know, destruction of their own nuclear industry and um, you know, some of the other concepts we talk about in, in um, economics. But what I did was I built um, a, a spreadsheet that kind of shows how the Southwest Power Pool, which is our uh, sort of energy market here in the middle of the U.S. Um, and parts of Canada, um, how the energy is generated and sort of what it costs to do that, given uh, the different sources of energy um, that we rely on to feed that grid. Um, and so, for instance, we use, I think, about 30% of our energy in the Southwest Power Pool comes from coal. Um, certainly, uh, you know, Kansas uh, contributes a lot of wind energy. Uh, from the the wind turbines in western Kansas and in my home uh, southeast Kansas um, but you know people say well you know 40 percent of Kansas's energy comes from wind and that's sort of a misnomer because uh, you know this energy gets traded around this entire pool of states uh, from you know in Canada all the way down to northern Texas hmm. so um, so what I did is I put this spreadsheet together to show okay well if you change the mix of generation if you change the mix of sources of energy you change the cost. 
And so I did some research on, okay, well, how, how do I estimate this? How do I come up with a cost of electricity uh, given these different sources? And what happens if we do the sort of dream of, of some people and we go purely into wind and solar? You know, what happens if we do that? What happens to mm-hmm. your electricity bill? And, and really, in a lot of ways, it's not just your electricity bill. It's everything. Because and everything we have takes energy to make. And so if we make, if we make energy more expensive, then everything we do gets more expensive. Yeah, the, crea- the creation of wind turbines and solar panels, notwithstanding, right? The cre- yeah. <laughs> the creation of uh, renewable generating resources also requires Yeah, it. yeah they, they don't just fall out of the sky. Yeah, so yeah. they're not really renewable themselves. Yeah. Is nuclear a small fraction since we have the plant so close to Kansas? Yeah. Did that ultimately end up being... Because I heard it's a huge fraction of like Kansas City, powering Kansas City, but... They- yeah. Relative to this whole area, is it relatively small? Yeah, so um, I don't I don't remember the exact number of nuclear, but it's it's less than ten percent of the okay. total. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, nuclear is important. The thing is, I think it's it's underutilized, and and mainly because people are very very afraid of nuclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just scared of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of it's actually sort of artificially expensive. Yeah. Because of the sort of safety compliance issues. I've read that ninety percent, like the cost of nuclear, ninety percent of it's regulatory. Is that? Yeah. (laughs) I think that's probably true. Um, I spoke with uh, a gentleman who uh, works at the Wolf Creek plant. Yeah. Um, and he said that you know, okay, if the entire world went to nuclear, we would start to get into, and not not entirely, but like even if we got you know, in you know maybe the forty to fifty percent range, we would start to have fuel issues. In terms of the, the price of fuel, uh, the, the nuclear fuel itself getting up there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, it 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 almost all of it is is compliance, and and also the thing is too. So we talk about this concept of intermittency. In other words, how long can this thing work? You know, how often do you have to shut down a power plant or something like that so that you can maintain it and all that sort of thing? Again, nuclear, the main reason why you have to do the shutdown is for safety stuff. Otherwise, you would have almost 100 percent uptime. And by safety, you mean regulatory safety. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The sort of safety, in theory, safety justification. There's a lot of people talking about, you know, the sort of reality of nuclear and that it's not, you know, it's not Three Mile Island. And even Three Mile Island wasn't as bad as people say it was. It's not Chernobyl. That was this old, um, you know, graphite-based technology that we don't even use anymore. So So, uh, when I think of um, your cost to mix thing i thought of germany where i i heard something and i don't know if it's true or not that if they filled up every single square inch of germany with windmills they still wouldn't reach 40 percent <laughs> of what they need for energy right. and is that what your dashboard ultimately helps us see yeah. that it's a, somewhat you run into a dead end eventually or yeah so you know it's interesting you bring up germany um so there uh th- there's a great paper by a gentleman named Robert Edel, who's a, uh, he's a PhD student, I think at the University of Houston. And the, the, the article is in the journal Energy, which is a very good journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it was published this year or last year. So you can look it up either way. Um, but he takes the examples of Germany, uh, which sort of has a national grid. Um, of course they sell power to other countries, but they have a national grid. And then Texas, and by Texas, what he means is ERCOT, which is the bulk of Texas is kind of its own energy market. Um, so he shows what it costs, uh, you know, he does an analysis of what it would cost to do nothing but wind and solar in those places. Um, and yeah, the, the thing about wind is that if, you know, we install, you know, 10 megawatt hours of capacity in terms of turbines, 
then what we'll probably get is something like 30 to 40 percent of that mm. because of the what i like i was saying before intermittency because of the idea that you know the wind blows when it wants to <laughs> and it doesn't blow all the time and it doesn't blow all the time in the places where we are right and so yeah then you have to transfer it so then you got to move it right and so you have transmission lines and 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 the way we back up wind is with natural gas mm. that's the way we do it now and you know natural gas is fantastic it's it's super clean right um it's extremely plentiful especially here in the north america um we have thousands of years of this stuff we have thousands of years of oil right uh there is no idea of sort of running out i think it's just silly um, but the problem, one of the problems we have is that the more wind you have, the more uh, what we call peaking plants you need. Um, and so what those are is they're natural gas plants that you can just turn off and on, off and on, off and on, sort of as the wind blows or doesn't blow. And then it's holding that energy, essentially it's, during peak times or something, well, so, ready to distribute it? Or? Yeah, so the thing, about, the thing about electricity markets is it's mm -hmm. all instantaneous. So, you know, we, we plan for... Uh, and have the capacity ahead of time. But then in terms of generation, we sell that on a daily basis. And so basically when it's produced, it has to be used. We don't, we can't store it. Okay. So gas itself is the energy held. Sorry. The natural gas itself is the yeah, energy. Held. The natural gas. Yeah. Energy. Natural gas has right. a ton of energy in it. Right. I mean, that's why it's so great. But the, but one of the problems is, is if we just have uh, you know, a gas combined cycle plant is what, what we call those they're much more efficient than the peaking plants because peaking plants have to constantly turn off and on. And so they're not as clean mm -hmm. and they're not as efficient. In other words, they cost more uh, because we're constantly turning them off and off. So I guess, uh, could you summarize for us, like in terms of cost? Cause you said, you said, and maybe, maybe you can't, maybe that'd be a spoiler yeah, or something, yeah. but can you no, no. give the listeners an idea of what happens to the cost? If for example, we try to switch to fully renewables like solar and, uh, winds and you don't have to get like you know crazy into detail but just like some a general overview of what do things look like for the typical person in terms of energy cost if we make the move to completely renewable today yeah so i i can uh i think the key graph from edel's paper um <clears throat> it's table three it's not a graph it's a it's a table um it's table three so um what what edel does in this paper that, that's that's useful is he takes a concept that uh, really the renewable industry and their lobbying organizations and the media, et cetera, um, are, they're a big fan of this concept called levelized cost of electricity. And uh, this is put together by an investment firm in Canada, okay? And they are on their 16th iteration of this now. Okay. They're, they're sort of computing, what does it cost to generate you know, a, 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 a megawatt hour of electricity sure. given these different sources? Now, there's a there's a sort of fundamental problem with this, uh, for instance, and this is what I tell my students, you know, we could have a levelized cost of housing and we could have a tent from Walmart that's <laughs> yeah, 40 bucks okay, okay. and we could have a house that's $200,000 and we would say, well, we want to prefer the lower cost one. And so the levelized cost of housing says, you know, we should choose the tent because it's only 40 bucks. And some people do take that. Approach. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, and so the are. problem is there's obviously, you know, there's no discussion of reliability, sure. of intermittency and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But even if we just take the cost part by itself and forget about those benefit side issues to begin with. So what Edel does in this paper is he says, let's, let's look at the full system cost. So if we have the entire German grid or the entire Texas grid, these are the two cases he takes. 
took the entire grid and we just run it on one source. Okay. Um, if we run it on natural gas combined cycle in Germany, it's basically three and a half cents a kilowatt hour. Mm. Three and a half cents. Okay. So right now your electricity, my electricity bill is something like 13 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, and so there's a retail markup, you know, there's always going to be a retail change there. Cause obviously we have to, you know, we have to transmit this electricity, right? Transmission lines cost something. Sure. Uh, so that's fine. Um, but so that's the lowest price that he computes for Germany. He says three and a half cents with natural gas. We just did their entire grid with natural gas. Yeah, if we did it with coal, it would be 7.8 cents or roughly eight cents per kilowatt hour. Okay. Um, <clears throat> if we did it with nuclear, it would be 10 and a half cents per kilowatt hour. Hmm. And again, nuclear is expensive because of all the regulatory stuff. Now, Let's look at solar photovoltaics. So in other words, solar panels, right? Not the solar you see like in Arizona where there's like all those mirrors, sure. right? And they're pointing at that central point. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like tremendous amount of heat, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so if we used solar for Germany's grid, Edel computes that the cost would be $1.38 wow. per kilowatt hour to, to generate. So we're talking like close to 50 times. Right. It's It's a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, and that fifty times expense is paid for by someone, right? Uh, sure, and, it, and it's paid for by the ratepayer. Yeah, you you can in every case. Yeah, you you, <laughs> it, you could you, if we wanted to, we could arrange it by yeah making the individual in the house pay it. So imagine fifty times your energy bill. Or what we yeah. could do instead is you know have the government pay for it and then tax everybody yes. uh, fifty times more for That's it. Fair. So, uh, yeah. it falls on uh, the, the taxpayer so, either way. So solar is the is certainly the worst for Germans. Uh, wind is uh, forty eight cents a kilowatt hour, which is still incredibly large yeah. that's that's about what they pay at, at the retail level so you know they, they would have to add an entire you know plus you would still probably have some kind of um you know intermittency type issues but the cost is so high because you have to like you were saying you have to over install the stuff you have to install you know two and a half times more than you think you need because the wind doesn't blow. But then the question is, what if the wind's blowing like crazy? What do you do with all this extra with energy? The excess. There's nothing you can do with it. It's just wasted. Is it, you can't, like, there can't yeah, that's So, yeah, you can't, like, like still, or if you did well, a battery, then that would be more so, cost or something. So yeah. think about how expensive a an electric car is, right? <laughs> yep. And think about the idea of taking, you know, an entire town or an entire city's worth of electricity and storing it mm. in a lithium battery. Sure. Right? It's thousands of times more. Yeah. And this is another issue that that I that I cover with my students is is mining, right? We we don't even have we have never mined enough like in our entire history, we have not mined as much cobalt and lithium and copper as we need for this so-called transition. Yeah, our graduate assistant Kevin's planning to mine lithium as his dream job. Yeah, goal of <laughs> well, mining lithium in Bolivia. And if, so. if the subsidies continue, then you'll you'll <laughs> probably have an extremely high price for that stuff. Um, so it's interesting. So Dell, you know, if we look at the slightly better case of Texas, um, <clears throat> you know, their uh, natural gas is four cents a kilowatt hour. Um, coal is nine cents, um, but solar PV is uh, 41 cents. So solar panels in Texas. And, you know, Texas is about the best case you can get in the U.S. Lots of sun. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's as close to the equator as it gets. It's about as good as it gets. Um, so, but still 41 cents and wind 29 cents. Um, and you know, Texas has, uh, you know, well, the Western part of Texas <laughs> where all this, all these wind turbines can be. And, and a lot of places don't have that. 
uh, so okay, you're seeing so the offshore stuff. This looks like a good spot to take our break. And I guess when we come back now, we got at least a, a glimmer of costs. There's probably some more things to talk about there, but then uh, we need to talk about the benefit side and and, uh, sure. and how that, what that looks like and shapes up. Uh, not that any politicians doing any sort of cost benefit analysis, but that's what they have <laughs> us to do, right? And so we're, that's part of your mission, I think, with the dashboard is to bring this to the public. So, sure. all right, we'll be back in just a bit. Ottawa University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition or politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so we're back, and we we at least dabbled with the costs, and I, I, there might be more to talk about that too. But I, I'm thinking if there's a a tenfold increase between, let's say, natural gas or coal to uh, wind, depending on if we're looking at the Texas example. I mean, for a real person, that would be like uh, instead of a fifty dollar utility bill, um, it might be 150. I didn't mean to say tenfold and do the exact math. But I mean, yeah, my yeah. point is that for, for people who are scraping by, you know, if we look at low income people, uh, these policies could really disproportionately hurt the poor. Right. Um, and so I think while the on the benefit side, we might look at, well, we're going to reduce our carbon footprint by X or something and reduce this. Mm -hmm that really ignores that distributional effect that can hurt yeah. the poor much harder than the rich. It's I've always kind of looked at a little bit, um, and I think economists have over time, that uh, environmental friendly stuff is a little bit of a luxury good that you, we can afford to yeah. do it when we're when we're when we have more disposable income. And if there's some measurable effects on the uh, the environment that those benefits uh, we can start to look at uh, weighing the benefits cost, but that that's really hard, especially when we're talking about impacts that might be 100 years out. Now, a lot of the environmentalists are like, oh, this is right around the corner. We're going to have rising sea levels. Miami's going to be in the water in 10 years. And um, so uh, yeah. what do you think on some of those benefits and measuring and, and yeah. does it get done and does it get done appropriately? <laughs> yeah, so I think there's some funny things about, you know, the, there's the sort of, you know, the the magical kind of, prognostication of the future um, that has happened over the last several years. And now we're sort of hitting reality um, and things are coming very, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming 
the it's becoming clear how bad things can be. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, you know, Germany this year, uh, they they have approved uh, reopening a bunch of coal fired power plants because, as you know, Germany gets cold in the winter, <laughs> and uh, and they don't want all of their elderly people to die, and so they have to they have had to turn these things back on. Uh, there was a concerted effort to literally kill their nuclear industry over the last 20 years. Their last nuclear plant was uh, shut down and will be destroyed this year. Um, and so, uh, you know, they've had to, you know, move to other sources. Well, natural gas is expensive for them right now. Um, and so they're just saying, well, let's open the coal-fired power plants back up and uh, and do that. Um, on, on the issue of like sort of distribution, um, you know, and, and poverty and that sort of thing, uh, California, I believe, is floating um, the idea of basing your power bill on your income, mm. not just on your usage. Handling it on so, that side. Yeah. So if Russ, price discrimination. if Russ makes more money than Peter, then Peter's bill might be lower than Russ's, even if Peter uses more yeah, energy. <laughs> I think I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, then there's a lot of things to talk about on, um, you know, the, the sort of reality hitting of uh, you know, higher interest rates now. And the thing about wind and solar is, you know, most of the cost is front loaded. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why the stuff is super expensive and why it doesn't make sense for the developing world is because it's so expensive to set up. Um, and so now that rates are much higher, uh, not only are these things more risky, right? Because we, you know, they're sort of, they live and die by subsidies, right? Um, that um, especially now, right? You you, know, you you put the first wind turbines up in the most windy places, and so then now each right. each, <laughs> each turbine you put up is going to have less, yeah, uh, you know, generate less yeah. power than the one before it. So, um, so I think that kind of thing is coming home to but roost. You bring up interest rates because uh, if you have a half million dollar windmill, you might have to borrow some of that to get it started. If it was running on its own. Without, with or without subsidies, right. there's is that part of why you bring up the. the well, energy? what I'm saying is, like, if if we wanted to put up a natural gas power plant, it would be a lot less. Most of the cost would be, you know, or a lot of the cost would be spread out over time, and oh. in the in the form of us buying fuel to burn, right? Gotcha. Okay. Whereas the 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 turbines are incredibly expensive, and the solar stuff is incredibly expensive per watt hour generated, right? So like. In terms of the return it's going to get, well, it has to generate power to get a return, yeah. Except for the subsidies, well, and so the the point is to get it to the point where it can actually generate something because solar is like twenty to thirty percent efficient. Yeah, I love I love what Justin said earlier. I never really even thought about it. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't, but that renewable uh, energy needs a storage function, whereas the non-renewable or I'm sorry, renew yeah non-renewables like natural gas it's already built into it like you yeah. can hold on to the yeah. to the stock yep. of it yep. there's no stock with solar and wind and I, I think that's an interesting way to look at some of the issues surrounding energy sure this actually also ties into this plan to charge russ more than peter for electricity <laughs> because um you know you you can't do that with gasoline and the reason you can't do that with gasoline is because Peter, if Peter's getting gas for cheaper, he can just go pump it into a container himself right. and then sell it. Do a little rocks, reselling, right? Yep. And uh, with distribution channels that are completely centralized and controlled by the state, it makes it yeah, easier. Price discriminating monopolies, essentially, yeah. versus yeah. a gas station, which is perfect competition, yeah. uh, essentially. Yeah. So, but th- this did lead me to like a. a so one, one thing I'll say up front is I think it is valuable. I, I think 
holding the renewable non-renewable distinction is valuable because other people do it but i think listeners should realize that like this is a false distinction that like there's no such thing as renewable and non-renewable energy that's right we do create more gas through the process of like fracking and shale oil sands right that's gas that is now available to us that's not anymore because of technological improvement so more gasoline is created uh and similarly you have to create the energy that comes from solar and winds by creating wind turbines and solar panels and things like this so and a lot of concrete (laughs) <laughs> yeah, concrete, and you need the storage battery. So there's not really renewable and non-renewable energy. So there are sure. energies that cost more and cost less, right? Like that's the relevant distinction out there. I wonder, Levi, do you think that there's like a possibility that we could see some of these so-called renewable energy resources like uh, solar and winds improve efficiency over time to where like uh, they become a valuable part of the energy mix? That's my optimistic take is uh, I don't like these energy sources right now because like you said, earlier they ride on the back of subsidies basically completely and they're not cost effective for us currently if we didn't have the subsidies we wouldn't be doing it uh but i can imagine uh you know the scarcity driving people to create like better you know more efficient electric storage more efficient uh you know windmills or, or better solar panels do you think that these sorts of systems will uh ever be like a an effective part of our energy in like an optimistic world or do you think that like oil natural gas wins the game for the rest of history basically as long as we uh, don't rig the game yeah so um i i would i would point you toward um as a as a sort of source besides me on this um read um uh, alex epstein's book um apostle mm-hmm. future and one of the things that he talks about is this idea of we need to think about you know a subsidy regime or whatever in terms of reliability so like and not necessarily just subsidies but like the way in which we integrate these sources into a grid is they're separated okay so justin could open up a coal-fired power plant and if you peter you run the southwest power pool you, you are buying energy from justin yeah right it's not the solar the southwest power pool doesn't generate the power and distribute it they're separated. Sure. So what what Epstein says is he's like, look, you know, the Southwest Power Pool needs to think about their treatment of these sources of energy in terms of their ability to generate reliable energy, to be able to generate it when we need it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you're talking about production of the, the actual things themselves, and so we're thinking like, you know, learning by doing or economies of scale. Sure. Um, I think at least on the wind side, the, the problem is everything in there is old tech, right? We have had electric motors and thus generators for yeah, a very fair, long time, yeah, yeah. right? It's just a giant ball of copper wire. Yeah, That's pretty much all yeah, it is. The, the only improvements are on like the aerodynamics of the turbine, which we've probably maxed out pretty close. Sure. To yeah. And, 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 you know, what you make them out of, which is fiberglass. Yeah. yeah. Well, fiberglass has been around a while too, right? Sure. Um, yep. Uh, the I don't I don't know as much about the solar photovoltaic okay. stuff, but sure. part of the thing with that one is, you know, we get a lot of that of the materials and the sort of the 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 um, the processes that are making those things. A lot of that's done in uh, in China and especially okay. by you know slave labor and yeah, the, yeah. That's the northern yeah. part. So I mean, you know, it's like is that cost going to go up or down yeah. <laughs> if we bring it here and try to you know sure. economies of scale yeah. that thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that I thought was uh, was interesting, I, th- I think you guys have mentioned this, is like energy in terms of like whether or not it's expensive, that's just relative to other energy sources, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have fossil fuels and they are 
abundant and relatively inexpensive. Uh, so it, in answer to Peter's question about could any of these renewable techs like actually turn out, like get much better, it seems like the returns are at the point where they're diminishing almost to zero on something like wind, where mm -hmm. there's just no, uh, the, we've put turbines in most of the good spots. Um, right. And uh, we, I'd like to talk about maybe some of the environmental harms that come from something like that in a second. Now, I will say to be totally fair to like the, again, quote, renewable energies, um, people have said that about gasoline before, right? People have said, we've already drilled the biggest, uh, you know, uh, reservoirs because those were the ones we found first because they're so big. And we, like that turned out to just be wrong. Like the people who said that are just incorrect. We found bigger ones. We found other ways of doing it. Uh, and so I'm not totally pessimistic on the possibility that these energy sources, like I, I'm not completely agnostic. I, I have my feeling about what it's going to be, but I am at least like somewhat optimistic that like someone could figure out something that I haven't thought of. So, uh, and that has happened with uh, other energy resources that in the past we've said, there's no way we're going to make this any better. So, so if I can address that, because I, I think there's a difference that's, that's relevant in the sense that what you're talking about is a sort of technology basically hydraulic fracturing, right? Fracking that allows you to get at a source of the thing that we didn't have before. Or that we, or uh, wells that we've discovered that we didn't know about. Right. Before. Yeah. So, so that's fine. And, and, and that's, and that's one type of, you know, sort of chance improvement or something sure. like that. But what we're talking about, what we, what we would be talking about, at least in the scope of the things that we know about um, with uh, wind, solar and batteries, right. Is, those are, uh, it's down to sort of thermodynamics at this point, right? Now, can someone come up with some kind of technology that makes, you know, a, a 300 foot long uh, turbine blade lighter and still super strong or something like that? Yeah, maybe, right? But that would be a, a, a much different kind of change than just sort of discovering another source of, of of, of oil yeah i'll, right. I'll, so, I'll agree that it, it's more probable uh the oil discovery than like that we figure out some sort of innovation that lets our batteries be like 100 times more uh yeah because because or something like that. so there's another great paper um if you want to read this by mark mills um and i i'd have to i'd have to get the paper to you uh to to link to it but um he is from the manhattan institute and he does a great job showing <laughs> Um, and he's talking specifically about like EVs, like electric vehicles. And so he shows you, so over the last 30 years, um, if you take um, a battery and you power an electric motor with it, okay, so on the one hand, and then if you compare that to putting gasoline in a combustion engine, okay, so what he shows is that in 1990, the battery motor combo was about 2% as efficient as the gas had 2% as much energy usage as the gasoline car combo. Okay. And now 30 years later, we're at 6%. So this is not some kind of transistor Moore's law sort of thing sure. where it's like asymptotic, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. It's, it's very much a slow slog and, you know, everybody's got some new battery technology that can, you know, that can make Russ a cup of coffee. It can do anything. Yeah. The only thing it can't do is escape a lab, right? Sure. Um, and so all of these sort of magical thinking about batteries and stuff have just not yeah, come fair. out yet. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. 
one of the points that uh so a book that i make my undergrads read in environmental ethics is michael schellenberger's apocalypse never and um he's you know spent 20 years as a berkeley environmentalist and he's his his point is that this this movement has just been <laughs> hijacked and that's now yeah. it's working against uh what would be good for the environment yeah. one of his points is look out of out of all the technologies that we're that we're looking at for generating power we have you know fossil fuels um we have renewables and we have nuclear he goes the move ought to be from fossil fuels if it's going to move anywhere it should move to nuclear sure. what uh, the history of progress in human civilization is a move towards more energy dense sources of right. fuel exactly. and the move from wood to coal you need to burn a much smaller volume or weight of coal to get the same amount of energy out of it uh that you would compared to wood, wood right right um and um the amount of energy that's in you know a glass of water in terms of the amount of energy that's in the molecular bond that is holding those things together that seems to be if we're going to look for a kind of innovation you know it's harvesting more energy in a smaller amount in a smaller volume of stuff and that is nuclear right right that's that and the exact opposite does. of that is the solar and wind stuff yes and if you look <laughs> yeah, at the like amount of acreage that you have to devote to a solar pv farm um yeah. you know and you look at the different like there are hills in california that are covered in yeah. uh solar panels and if you look back to like the late night like the matrix movies in the late 90s right where <laughs> it's this dystopian hellscape of humans <laughs> in pods of goo yeah where everything around them is gray and yeah. they're generating uh they're making <laughs> energy off the biological heat of the humans to feed the machines like, <laughs> I mean, yeah yeah uh i don't know but uh a beautiful rolling California hill covered in gray PV material seems like a pretty good halfway point between the <laughs> landscape and what we have right now. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to industrialize the rural area. You yeah, know, it's and, bizarre. Yeah. It's yeah. bizarre, right. and it's it's insane that it's being done in the name of environmental progress. Yes. Right. So it's uh, a bunch of these technologies. Solar's one, wind is another. Like when those turbine motors uh, break they don't get repaired they just get replaced and i don't know if you've ever seen photos of the landfills of oh, the yeah, turbine blades but uh you know insofar as you actually care about the environment as a whole and not this one tiny metricable part <laughs> of it which is co2 parts CO2. per million right right um then you ought to think well, gosh, there's all these externalities from these so-called renewable sources that aren't getting accounted for right. when we do. They're not being taxed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. It's a real thing of the birds seeing like that a die. state. Yeah. No, that, that looks like a good spot to transition into our part two of this podcast with environmental issues. So yeah, I think Levi's got a lot lot more to say. So that's kind of a good way to tee that, tee that one up um and uh yeah i think in terms of peter's optimism about uh, whether costs would come down i think i'm i might be reading too many sci-fi novels but i'm thinking that <laughs> you know the free energy is developed essentially yeah, that right. uh you know which i think nuclear is the closest thing to it and new developments that could i'm more optimistic on something like that popping than than the cost of these coming down so all right well this has been a production of the gorton institute we'd like to thank dr levi russell for joining us today 
Levi, thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with you on part two to talk more about environmental issues. So um, thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. Uh, other than that, be fruitful multiply. Thanks. Thank you.